customer experience is one of the main differentiators today. And I think it's important to just understand that there's more than just mobile banking. There's more than just e-banking. There's something happening out there that goes beyond all that. Hello and a very warm welcome to this, our second series of transformation stories from the award-winning Valtech Cafe. Last year, we spoke to more than 25 global brands and industry experts about their experiences of digital transformation, and this series is no different. From airlines to retailers, manufacturers to healthcare companies, this is a podcast series that strips away the digital buzzwords and challenges what we all thought we knew about our industry. Covering topics from the circular economy to customer experience, emerging tech to composable architectures, we're removing the filters and getting to the bottom of what's really going on in digital today. I'm Tizzy Philp, and welcome to the podcast. It's commonplace now for brands to talk about the combination of the physical and the digital, creating those borderless experiences that make interacting with a brand frictionless. But what if we could take that connected experience a few steps further and immerse users right into the center of a fully immersive intelligent environment? The meeting of the physical world with augmented or virtual worlds within a single shared space. Think Snapchat on steroids. Enter the metaverse, the latest offering on the tips of digital industry tongues. And it's not just a gimmick, it's already in action. From retail to banking, the metaverse is gaining momentum across all sectors. To tell us more and to discuss the opportunities and potential pitfalls that the emergence of the metaverse holds for the future of experiences, I'm joined by two of Valtech's industry-leading experts, Creative Director Lydia Livingston and Finance Industry Lead for Europe, Sandro Tarkini. So welcome both of you to the podcast. And First of all, I want to start with a quote just to help us kick off this conversation. And this is from VC Matthew Ball, who's talked a lot about the metaverse already. And he's uh, written some, some really interesting stuff too. But he says, the metaverse is a massively scaled and interoperable network of real-time rendered 3D virtual worlds, which can be experienced synchronously and persistently by an effectively unlimited number of users and an individual sense of presence with continuity of data such as identity, history, entitlements, objects, communications, and payments. So it's an incredible thing to have a conversation about, no doubt. And Lydia, I'm going to come to you first because this isn't a new concept, is it? Where are we already seeing the metaverse happening? Hi, Tizzy. Yeah, you're, you're correct. Weirdly, I guess the metaverse has been around for a while. So I think we think that it's been quite a new thing, but you think back to, I think 2002, we had Second Life. That was when they launched their beta. And I think that was one of the first sort of really great examples of, again, a a metaverse space. But even things like Snapchat filters have been around for a while, mixing physical world of augmented worlds. And even IKEA in 2013, that's when they first released their much celebrated IKEA app where you could place IKEA furniture into your room. So Mm -hmm. Metaverse has been around for quite a while. And it's definitely gaining traction, isn't it? So you mentioned a few of the, the obvious ones there. But 
for a change, and this is unusual for us on the podcast because normally we start with all the positives and then we start to explore the negatives, but let's start with some of the potential negatives and pitfalls. What are the potential obvious restrictions or drawbacks of the metaverse in its current format, would you say? Well, I guess from my point of view, I think some of the things which perhaps make it difficult for everybody to access, particularly if we're thinking about um, really the deep metaverse with VR is the kit, for example, because you still have to have, in most cases, quite an expensive, bulky piece of VR kit. But I do think, you know, as time goes on, this will change. So I'm quite excited by things like AR glasses. Bringing together much more wearable technology will help us to access these spaces much more easily. I think as well, things that perhaps concern me at the moment are things like the environmental costs. So if you're accessing NFTs and and some of these payments within these services, then you're using sort of digital currency, which may or may not be okay, depending on how it's set up. But at the moment, we know that some some forms of that have quite high environmental costs. And this will probably change. They'll be working to resolve this. But you know, there is a, a potential sort of impact at the moment, I think. I guess the other thing is, at the moment, I think it's just making some of these services more generally accessible. I think for me, what's really exciting is using the places where people already are gathering. So Fortnite is a brilliant example of this. So I really love an example from Balanchia with Fortnite, where they launched a collaboration with them. So, you know, you're seeing a really luxury brand, very high fashion, collaborating with a gaming company, which I think a few years ago would have been unthinkable almost. And that's an amazing experience. You know, you're diving in, it's it's a bit Blade Runner-esque. And actually, in terms of viewing the fashion, it's great to be able to see things in 3D to kind of explore the garments in a way that you can't when you're you're not in a shop. So I think there's really exciting things coming up as well. For people who haven't heard of the metaverse before, don't really understand it then, in some of the examples that you're talking about, Lydia, can you just maybe give us a bit more background about what the metaverse is from an experiential point of view? So what might someone experience in the metaverse if you could try and paint a visual picture for us via podcast? <laughs> yeah, it's sort of difficult and I have to write a follow-up blog with some videos, <laughs> I guess... I mean, in a sense, it's the meeting of the physical world with the augmented and virtual worlds within a, within a shared space. So many of us have got kids and, you know, they'll have played things like Minecraft and Fortnite. And, and that is a great example. It's a really accessible example. And actually, that's access for your laptop, but put a headset on and then you're, you're really immersed in it. If you can imagine, or if you've seen a film like Ready Player One, diving in even the matrix back in the day people being connected into this virtual world that's kind of what the metaverse can be and so but that's one version of it so but there's also layering ar into the physical world so i've mentioned ar glasses and you remember things like pokemon go yeah that's another example so it's Mm. this sort of merging of these different worlds and and i think not just the merging, but also the collaboration within them. So Pokemon Go, of course, you're collecting things and there was scoreboards and there was gamification. You know, there's a great example I saw the other day with Nike. They've got AR glasses where you can then follow a pigeon through New York and you can run. And <laughs> so it's it can be really fun. And I think what's exciting is at the moment it's not completely defined because it can kind of be anything, but it's, it's really just those merging, that merging of the physical and the virtual worlds together. 
A lot of the concepts that you've talked about there are very playful. They come from the gaming industry. They come from that kind of background. You did mention the IKEA example earlier. So there are some more commercial applications of this where we can see that they're actually going to have direct revenue generating possibilities, or it's certainly going to help add value from from that perspective. But going back to some of those potential drawbacks that we talked about, you mentioned the bulky VR kits you know vr is something that was very exciting and still remains exciting it still has huge potential but we're really yet to see that come to life because of the restrictions that that's kind of sit around the equipment that you need do you think there's a possibility that the metaverse will struggle in the same way to take off because of those things no i I actually think it will just progress like technology, like with all these things will get cheaper. And yeah. actually you could still access some of these things using Google Cardboard or the cheaper versions of it. There was a stat I saw yesterday from the DMA, which said that 40% of UK customers use AR and VR or on phones to view products um, already. So that's a, that's a big percentage of the um, population that are already beginning to access these things. So I just think it, I do think it will grow and grow and grow. It's just time. It's just time. Yeah. And you put forward some quite playful examples, but yeah, business, it it can also be a really amazing tool for business. There was an example I saw from Ericsson who created 3D world of a town. I think it was in Sweden somewhere. And um, they're using that so they can map their 5G signal so they can see how it performs within a crowded space. So that's a really amazing way that business can can use this technology. Loads of examples of businesses using it for training. I mean, to be fair, Meta have done an amazing job. Their videos showing how it can be used for education. And there's an example I found as well where um, Mercedes, they have an app where you can overlay AR. So it's essentially like an AR training manual for customers. So the things they could do, with the, I think it was the car. So there are definitely more practical ways. Um, Lots that, of new applications. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's an awesome video by, I can't remember his name, but there's a person who created this AR experience or VR experience where to help you learn the piano. So <laughs> I think it is extremely creative, which I think is why it's so suited for gaming and for arts and fashion. It's very collaborative, which again allows them to connect with their customers where they are. But actually there's some really sort of practical uses, some really amazing ways that you can help people to learn to grow and to just to make life easier really and that's obviously why it's uh, piquing your interest lady this very creative element of course and I know as creative director here at Valtech you've worked on some amazing client projects whether that's airlines or retailers it's always about that very firm focus on delivering the best possible customer experience And all of these negative elements or potential pitfalls that we've talked about, they clearly set us up for some exciting problem-solving opportunities in the future. And you've already referenced some of the places that we're seeing this taking off now. Brands are clearly starting to see the potential. And the obvious starting point is perhaps retail. But what about other applications across other industries from health and finance? Where else are we seeing those opportunities? And Sandro, it's probably a good place for me to bring you in here. What are we seeing? Well, I would start with an example that you didn't mention, and that is uh, governmental work. Oh, interesting. To come up with a completely different point. I mean, just recently, the Caribbean Republic of Barbados announced that they will be the first state, the first country to open an embassy in the metaverse. Okay. Just to bring in a completely new angle. 
And they already bought their virtual plot of land. And the embassy should go live in Q1 uh, 2022. So it's not a vision in the far distance, but it's actually already very concrete. And it's not only, according to their understanding, it's not only a game, it's not only a play or anything like that. It's very serious that they want to improve their cooperation with other governments and collaboration with other governments through this virtual embassy. It's a state that has currently 20 embassies around the world, And they thought instead of scaling an embassy in all the countries and coming up with 200 existing embassies in the real world, why not go into the metaverse, open one embassy there and cater for all these countries where they are not present yet? So (laughs) the whole thing is not just games. It actually started maybe in the gaming industry, but it grows and matures and goes into more and more serious use cases. And that's the very, very interesting uh, development that we can follow right now. You're obviously a finance expert, Sandro. What about within the finance world? What are we seeing so far? We see glimpses of it, I have to admit, mainly because of some of the developments that we have seen over the last couple of months during the COVID pandemic, as an example. We Mm. have all heard about the NFT market soaring. And NFTs, two years ago, was probably known to some few specialists but the numbers the growth rate of this market has been extreme in bringing the market to over 2 billion us dollars in just q1 2021 so of course if you have people investing 2 billion in nfts in artwork in some music and so on then it becomes also a factor for the banking industry because there are a couple of new services that are needed because these values and some of these NFTs have been sold for tens of millions. So they become a value that needs to be protected, that needs to get custody in some examples. And it also becomes, of course, a valid asset for the whole financial planning of a person. So maybe a person has invested in stocks in the real world, in gold and so on, but suddenly a chunk of, of their wealth is also invested in NFTs. And the banks need to cater for that. They need to start thinking about it. And this is just the NFT side. Cryptocurrency has not been mentioned yet. And let's be honest, there are a lot of people out there that have uh, earned a lot of money with cryptocurrency investments. And this money somehow needs to be brought back into the real world as well. So you get a connect there. And I think banks are struggling just right now, or a lot of banks are still struggling to find the right spot on how to react to this recent development. Mm -hmm. So you see this as the vehicle to getting that cryptocurrency into the real world? Absolutely. I mean, of course, in the crypto world and distributed ledger technology, a lot speak about self-custody and all these decentralized finance solutions that are enabled in this new way of doing business for the broader public, that you don't need the banks anymore. But I still see a role for the banks to play in these business cases, because not everybody wants to be their own custodian. 
not everybody has the possibility to be that. So there's definitely still a role to play for the banks and they just need to find out how they best want to do that. It's such an interesting topic. And I think in a little bit further into our conversation, we'll start talking about some of the potential applications of solving some of the existing finance challenges that we have at the moment. But I know that some banks are already taking this perhaps more seriously than others, particularly in Korea, we've seen it. And and I know that, uh, Lydia, you also posted something about Bank of America, Merrill Lynch recently, BAML. Can you tell us more about what they're actually doing with the metaverse? Yeah, definitely the banks are starting to dip their toes in. There was a really amazing example, is it Kukim Bank in, or K-Bank in Korea? So they've actually created their own metaverse and you can essentially, very much like Sandro, the example Sandro was saying earlier with the embassy, but here you've got a virtual bank, you can go in and speak to an advisor in this sort of virtual bank. And it's really to, I guess, recreate that real world banking experience, um, but in the metaverse. And I think that there's, it's quite interesting because for a number of years now, banking's almost lost that connection with the customer. You know, it used to be that you could go into a branch and that you would know the bank manager and you would actually have that personal relationship with them. And then digital's come along and actually we've got further and further away. So I wonder question people's loyalty to, you know, your, your banking provider now because it's so easy to change and you don't really have that personal connection. But I think perhaps using some of this technology is a way for for banks to be able to reconnect. So I think that metaverse example was a really interesting one. And then there's, um, you know, Westpac, they're a company that are also trying to reconnect and use this to their customers and use this technology. So they have this extremely lifelike avatar called Wendy, who, you know, is a virtual assistant. And I think this is really interesting because she's so lifelike. You could, if you were talking to her, you could almost suspend disbelief that she's a computer, you know, that she's, you know, artificial. And actually that might enable you to sort of talk to her in a more human-like way. And when we're open way. Yeah. yeah, and Sandra and I were discussing this yesterday and he had a quite an interesting idea, which I really like. But actually, what if Wendy was your the actual avatar of your actual advisor? So you can imagine, you know, particularly for when you're dealing with wealth, that personal relationship that you have with your wealth advisor is actually really important because these are high stakes games. We're talking about people's lives and things like mortgages and, and wealth. So you need to have a lot of trust when you're advisor that they're doing the right thing to you. But you can't always, especially nowadays, can't always get to them or have that relationship that you might have had once upon a time. But perhaps you could actually have your virtual advisor as well. And and actually for the advisor, so for, I guess for the customer, just to finish that off, you could perhaps talk to them in that virtual way like you would if they were really there, suspend that disbelief if it's real enough. But actually for the advisor at the other end, I guess some of the benefits of that is that then that conversation would potentially be recorded and actually you might be able to use AI to actually infer some deeper knowledge about perhaps their emotion state or or other things that perhaps you might not pick up if it was just say, you know, like a kind of grainy video teams call or something. So it's really interesting ways I think that the banking sector can use this technology to, to connect with customers. So would you see that then as a step beyond the traditional chatbot? So this advisor would be answering the most asked questions rather than providing tailored advice or looking back through the client's 
history and making tailored advice based on on their background and their investments and all the rest of it. Do you yeah. think we'd ever get to that level? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, it, in a way, it's no different than I have a, it's an extension of that chat service. But also, I think if you combine this with AI, you could get to a point a bit like I signed up to this fashion service called Thread. And that is, I think it was a person, but it might not be a person. <laughs> it's, you know what I mean? But it's AI. And and basically, it feels like I'm talking to a stylist, but I'm, I'm not because they do say it is AI and it learns. But at the same time, it's learning about me. So it's, and I have to say, it does a good job. So it's giving me examples of things I might want and you know, advice and this sort of thing. So there's really interesting mix again of virtual and, and real world and using AI in the back to make things much clever. Here's the million dollar question then, because in these podcasts and the former series of these podcasts, we've talked a lot about customer experience and the future of emerging techs and what we can what we can create for our customers or what we can create for users in lots of different contexts whether that's health banking retail whatever it might be and we always come back to this same question because we work within the digital industry it's our day in day out we talk about it all the time we're immersed in it all the time so these things perhaps don't feel particularly alien to us but I'm wondering whether for the rest of the populations across the world who don't live and breathe digital, whether this is all turning a little bit black mirror. And Lydia, you're talking about, you know, you, you're not sure whether you're talking to a human or or some AI. From an experience point of view, if you don't think too much about it, that's fine. But where do we draw the line and where do we feel is a moral boundary when it comes to all this? Yeah, it is a grey area. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a bit like grey area. It's a bit weird. I, mean, I mean, yeah, I find it at once fascinating and, and also creepy. <laughs> I think yeah. some of this stuff, it's like filtering in. Like chatbots were a bit like, what, what's this at first? But now everybody uses them. So I don't know, Sandro, what's your, what, what do you think? I'd definitely advise the banks to cut out the creepy. I think... At the basis, if, if you ask bankers all around the world, they would confirm that banking, financial services is mainly, has always been a people's business. Especially when you leave the typical retail space. The relationship with your client advisor, with your relationship uh, manager is at the center of most of the, let's say, higher scale financial interactions that you have. So if you leave the space that we know from that are catered completely digitally today, an account, a card, and uh, you pay in the store, if you leave that away and you have more serious business with long-term relationships, if it's a mortgage that you sign for 10 years and so on, there the people interaction is still very, very valid and very, very important to most of the banks. Uh, all around the world. I mean, digital transformation over the last couple of years, maybe 10 years, with the introduction of chatbots, with the introduction of e-banking and all these features have somehow separated the bank from their end clients. However, you still see the traditional way of doing banking upper scale with the high net worth individuals, as an example, in private banking and so on. There, the personal contact is still most relevant. And I see actually the metaverse as a possibility to bring that somehow back also to the retail space. As I said, I would cut out the creep side of it, but why not meeting your advisor in 
a digital metaverse in a digital space and you have your interaction, your conversation there, not physically, but in this new space that is created. And you can actually go a step back. And I think that is the charm of the whole solution, in my opinion, when it comes to client relationship uh, with his back. Actually, as you're talking about that, you know, I've done so many conversations now with luxury experts, and that's the problem that they're trying to nail is how do you take an industry which is based on that one-on-one connection, in-person connection, where it's first name terms with your customers and clients, how do you replicate that in a digital world beyond just having an e-commerce offering? How do you actually bring that experience to life? And this, you know, potentially if you could walk into a luxury store, luxury retailer store and have this experience from your kitchen <laughs> and try on the outfits or see the bags. Um, Lydia, you were talking about even the sensation, you know, if we take this a step further, I think you were talking about a glove that you can put on and you can feel vibrations and you can feel form and things. You know, we, if we could take that into a luxury or any retail environment, that could be really interesting. And also really interesting in the, the manufacturing and distribution world as well. One other thing before we, because I think we can talk about this for ages and i uh, looking at the clock, but one other thing, Lydia, that you mentioned when we were having our initial conversations was an application around, for savers, if you could visualize how many coffees you've spent or you've bought over the last month, and actually what that money could have gone to. If, you know, if you're thinking about how to moderate or, or protect people's spending habits or review people's spending habits, that's a really interesting thing as well. So it's not just commercial in the sense of how can we drive more revenue, but it's how can we support our customers better. So banks are obviously really doing this. You know, you look in your app and you'll see little tools to help you manage your money, um, give you better visualizations of this but actually take this a step further and I think this is a really this would be a really easy step for a bank to take being able to like I said say say you're saving for I don't know perhaps you are saving for that luxury handbag but actually you need to get your coffee habit spending under control (laughs) (laughs) and so um, perhaps we can relate (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But actually, but you know, visualization is such a powerful tool. So being able to use AR to see the coffees piling up in your living room. Oh God, did I really, <laughs> did I really drink 400 coffees last month? You know, and actually the price tag associated with that. There's a bit of a shock, shock and awe with, with this. But even day to day, if you're in a retail environment, can I afford that? coffee can I afford that bag you know being able to to see your spending habits be able to the app or you know to be able to say no no it's okay it's okay you're still on target or whatever it might be so I think AR can play a really useful way of supporting customers goals and the possibilities really are endless so then let's talk then about what's next for the metaverse so what do you think we're likely to see in the coming months or by the end of 2022 It's very difficult to say because we are standing really just at the beginning. I think overall you will see glimpses and new ideas like the one with the embassy as an example. People trying to make a bold move, but it's very hard to say where are we standing in in 2022, at the end of 2022, to be honest. And with respect to the financial services industry, I can imagine that over the next 12 months, a lot will be done in terms of custody, cryptocurrencies, NFTs, safeguarding, and probably also the first banks coming up with solutions on how to integrate uh, digital assets into 
today's typical portfolio view and all these things, that is definitely on the way and that is something mm-hmm. that we are seeing. But how far do you go? That's a very, very difficult thing to say. Do you think holograms are on the horizon yet? Uh, I know that Microsoft is actually playing with it. I don't know how far they are, but there's definitely new tech coming out. Uh, We were talking about augmented reality glasses, and I think there are one or two companies that are working on new solutions and new versions that will supposedly come out in the next 12 months. Amazing. Lydia, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, it's always hard to guess, isn't it? But I do think that for banking, well, I guess I'm hoping that they will start to to experiment, actually, to test and learn. And I hope that things like AR, I think, is a really, it's much quite accessible and a really easy thing for people to start to use. So I think that would be my kind of guess as, as a way to go. And I do think, actually, for particularly, I think, starting with perhaps high net worth individuals, those kind of metaverse experiences, I think, could be incredibly valuable. You can imagine you've got a super high net worth individual that you're trying to court, trying to look after. And actually, perhaps they're not even in the same country as you because they live elsewhere. But be able to connect to them in that real time space and as luxurious as you can imagine it, whatever their preference might be, I think could be incredibly powerful in building and keeping those relationships alive. What about our takeaways here? And, you know, for people who are listening to this and thinking this all sounds great, but we haven't even achieved VR headsets yet. So how could we actually make this a reality? What are your takeaways and what would you say would be the next steps for someone considering this? I think there's a huge opportunity to use this new technology in sort of creative ways to help customers and staff. I think it's just finding perhaps that need and being brave enough to experiment I think that's the key here. It's it's in a, in a number of ways. It's just like with any other kind of endeavor, understanding customer needs, understanding, you know, staff needs, understanding trends and, and where things are going and then testing and learning. And, that, and that's how you find the right opportunity and just being open-minded really and not kind of thinking that this is, I guess, going to go away or, or that it's not for you, but actually sort of embracing this technology. And we know that customer experience is one of the main differentiators when it comes to acquisition. So maybe this is a step forward that people should start considering and just thinking about in the moment, as you say. Sandra, how about you? What would be your key takeaway? No, absolutely. Uh, As you just mentioned, customer experience is one of the main differentiators today. And I think it's important to just understand that there's more than just mobile banking. There's more than just e-banking. There's something happening out there that goes beyond all that. And it's probably a good time to start to look at this. It's not necessarily that you need to come up with the final solution and so on for your bank or for, for your financial services industry entity, but just to start looking into the whole thing and what is possible. Here in Central Europe, we are not as far yet as in the countries in the in Asia where there's a huge gaming community and so on. Lydia mentioned it with South Korea. She mentioned one example, but there are four or five different banks actually working on their metaverse proposals. Here in Europe, we are not quite there yet, but it might be actually the beginning of 2022 that might be an interesting thing to put that on your roadmap that you just want to follow and the development and just get a clearer picture on what it is and how you could position yourself. And I think that would be already a very interesting and important step to take. 
Lydia, Sandro, thank you so much for joining us to talk about that. It's been such an interesting conversation. I have to admit the metaverse wasn't something that I'd looked that far into. So this has been great for me and no doubt super interesting for all of our listeners as well. So thank you both. A pleasure as always. And we'll speak to you soon. Thank you. You've been listening to the latest transformation series from Veltec Cafe. Hit subscribe to get access to our whole back catalogue of conversations. And if you'd like to know more about what we do, why not visit us at valtech.com for all the details. Until next time, thanks for listening.